exciting things are, uh, are happening. Uh, looking forward to improving the facility, adding new members, uh, getting focused on what we're about as a church. Today we want to welcome another new family to our congregation. We want to welcome Stan and Debbie Cowan. Uh, the Cowans come to us from East Tennessee. They were longtime members of the church at East Brainerd in Chattanooga. They live just in uh, North Georgia. So it's great to have the Cowans. I think the Cowans are here. They're to my right. Would you all just raise your hand so we can welcome you and see who you are? Welcome the Cowans. Glad to have them with us. If you would, please also be praying for my wife. She's on a trip this weekend. She uh, is on a Healing Hands trip. She's driving this uh, big box truck, driving through Texas and New Mexico this morning. She's going to be in Colorado Springs. She'll be coming back on Tuesday. Uh, thankfully, Cherie Ham is with her on this trip. Uh, and in my mind, I see them as Thelma and Louise, you know, traveling out west and uh, no telling what they're going to get into, but they're going to be back on Tuesday. And so if you could pray for them, uh, we would very much appreciate that. So through the month of, of January, we're in this message series where we're focusing on the idea of being together. And today we're really talking about the power of, of being together. Uh, Barbara uh, Brookhoff tells a story about a time when she was a tourist in Rome. If you've ever had an opportunity to travel in, in Rome, Italy, you'll know that, that the driving is just crazy. I mean, you know, it's hard to cross roads, and and these Italian drivers are driving so fast, and they're honking every place they go. And so she tells this story about this tour group, and they they dropped them off to see this beautiful church. Uh, And after they saw this this beautiful church, all these wonderful sights, it was time to get back on the bus, only the bus was parked on the other side of like four lanes of traffic. And so before they started walking across these lanes of traffic, uh, the tour guide was waving his arms kind of frantically, and he, and he said to them, you cross one by one, they hit you one by one. But if you cross together, they think they'll, their car will get hurt, and they won't hit you. And he knew what we know, really, and that is we're stronger when we're together. And so the word together is used a number of times through the book of Ephesians. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, Paul tells us, through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. And in the passage we're considering today, in, uh, in one of the verses, Paul says, from him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Colin Powell, you may know, years ago was Secretary of State, and while he was Secretary of State, he would uh, preach, or rather speak, uh, around the country. And one of the stories he would always tell was how at one point an ABC News correspondent interviewed a young African-American soldier who was uh, in a tank platoon on the eve of the battle uh, in Desert Storm. And the correspondent was interviewing this young man, and he asked him a series of questions. He said, how do you think the battle will go? Are you afraid? And the young man said, we'll do okay. We're well-trained, and I'm not afraid. And then he gestured toward 
his brothers who were sitting around him. And he said, I'm not afraid because I'm with my family. And the other soldiers started shouting, uh, tell him again. He didn't hear it. Tell him again. And so then the soldier repeated these words, this is my family, and we'll take care of each other. And there's this sense in which, in a good family, we receive encouragement and blessing. And that image is used in Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19, Paul tells these Gentile Christians, he says, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but now you're members of Christ's household. That's family language. But we know that in a healthy family, there is love, there's connection, and there's sense, this sense of strength. But in the scripture reading that Jim read for us just a few moments ago, the image changes. He's not so much talking about the strength that we find in a family, but he's talking about the church as, as a body. And in this body, there's a deep sense of connection, and as a result of that, we find strength. You see, we're stronger in the body of Christ because we're taught and trained by gifted leaders. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, a verse we did not read, the emphasis is on one. One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one Father, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's great strength and unity. But notice how Paul's language shifts in verse 7. He says, but to each one of us, grace has been given. You see, unity expresses itself in such beautiful diversity. The point of unity is that even though we are so different, we have different perspectives and different opinions, even though we're so different, we're still united. Think about the differences in the church in Ephesus. They were racially diverse. We saw that a couple of weeks ago when we said that Jews and Gentiles, these folks who were enemies, they became family in one body. You can't get more diverse than Jews and Gentiles. They were culturally diverse. Jews had a much different culture than Gentiles. They, they were diverse in terms of religious experience and even morality. Think about the Jews. The Jews had strict dietary laws. They were focusing on the one God. They were uh, focused on, on the Old Testament, which they knew backwards and forwards. They had a high sense of morality. But think then about the Gentiles. The Gentiles worshipped in the temple of Diana, which, where they experienced temple prostitution. You can't get more diverse than Jews and Gentiles. But the amazing thing is, Jews didn't become Gentiles, and Gentiles didn't become Jews. But Paul tells us, together, they formed one new humanity in Christ. And now we see this diversity of giftedness. Paul says, to each one. I would expect him to say, to each one a gift was given. But he doesn't choose that word. Paul says, to each one grace has been given. This is not saving grace, but this is serving grace. Grace is used to describe the, the gifts we are given. And then when Paul talks about these gifts, he doesn't talk about qualities or, or, or natural gifts. Rather, he talks about gifted leaders. 
he talks about people. He's describing these gifted leaders, these folks who are given to the body of Christ so they can teach and train us. He describes them as apostles and prophets, evangelists and pastors and teachers. And then he says these diverse gifts are given for a singular purpose. We read that a moment ago in verse 12. To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so as we are united in Christ, we bring all of our beautiful diversity, all of our our beautiful giftedness together, and then an amazing thing happens. The body of Christ is built up. Here's a simple but important truth. People grow to maturity through service. If you want to grow in Christ, start serving for Christ. As long as we remain largely consumers of a church product, we'll remain immature and selfish. You see, just as Jesus came not to be served, he came to serve. We learn from him. And as we serve others, it's amazing how we start to grow and the body of Christ is built up and other people are blessed. Together we're stronger. We're stronger because we're taught and trained and equipped for works of service. And I see this happening all over the place at College Hills. Every Wednesday night, Johnny Markham teaches a class, and in that class there's a a very motivated group of parents, young men and women who are asking questions about how we can be better parents, how we can be our children's faith trainers, and he's training and equipping those families. This happens on Wednesday nights as Alex Searcy meets with with a group of students and he's training them and equipping them to live out their faith in a you know in the world this happens through bible classes it happens in our life groups it happens through one-on-one interactions it happens as elders meet with groups of young dads helping them to understand how that they can be better as they're striving to uh, to raise their families in the faith stronger because in the church we're taught and equipped by gifted leaders. But there's another reason we're stronger together. A moment ago we read verse 16, but I want to reread that verse and and focus on it a little more closely. It says, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You see, for the body to, to function properly it must be united and and connected to each part and to jesus who is the head notice jesus is the animating life for the body verse 7 says from him from jesus we're stronger as jesus life courses through us courses through the body we grow as we take direction from jesus you know when babies are born their little heads are out of proportion to the body. I mean, little babies, when they're first born, they don't have the strength to even hold their heads up. Their little heads bobble. But in time, their bodies grow in proportion to the head. And in a similar fashion, in the church, that's the goal. The goal is for the body to grow in proportion to the head that is Christ. And so instead of wobbling and bobbling, we're able to walk and function as we get our our support, and as we take our direction from Jesus, who is our head, 
But then notice it says, from him the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament. There's a strong sense of connection in the body. When any part of my body is disconnected, I understand it begins to die at that point. But life comes through connection. Life comes as we're connected to the body. We also grow stronger when we realize that each part of the body is significant. Every part of the body is needed. Every supporting ligament. Each person is needed. Let's do a quick show of hands this morning. How many of you remember where you were when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon? Let's see a quick show. I know you're going to date yourself, but that's okay. That's okay. Some of you don't want to raise your hands, and you, you know where you were. I was seven years old when Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. It was a Sunday afternoon. We were at Shorty Rice's house. We were there for a fish fry. I'll never forget it because I had gotten a bone lodged in my throat, and, and while my mother was striving to save my life, everybody else was huddled around that black and white TV. They were huddled around that black and white TV watching as Neil Armstrong took that first step. It was July 20th, 1969. I hadn't remembered what day it was, but I looked it up this week and found out it was actually a, a Sunday afternoon. I thought it was a Saturday, but it was a Sunday afternoon. And you remember, as Neil Armstrong is coming down the steps of that lunar module called the Eagle, right before he steps on the the surface of the moon, he says, this is one small step for man and one giant leap for mankind. That's exactly right. Sometime later, Neil Armstrong said, as I was taking that one step down, right as I touched the surface on the moon, he said, I was thinking about all of those 400,000 people who gave me the opportunity to take that step. And that's not an exaggeration. At Kennedy Space Center, some 17,000 engineers, mechanics, soldiers, contractors, and other workers worked together to set up this enormous missile that would launch uh, that rocket into space. There were 500 people who worked on the spacesuit. 500 people working on the spacesuit alone. There was one seamstress involved in the project who said, we didn't worry too much until the guys on the moon started jumping up and down. She said, that gave us a little bit of an eyebrow twitch. Thousands and thousands of people came together to accomplish this amazing feat. And the implications for us are obvious. From time to time, people will visit on a Sunday, and, and I'll, I'll meet them in the back, and because we're a larger congregation, they'll say something to me like, are we really needed here? We, we want to be a part of a working church. We want to really get deeply involved. I'm not sure we're needed. Are we needed? And I will always say, uh, yes, we're needed. I'll say that because I'm a, you're, I'm a preacher. But then I'll also say, you are needed because, in fact, that is the truth. You are we need all kinds of, we need people on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings to help us with our little bitty babies because we got a lot of babies. We need people to help us teach. We need 
people to help us in VBS. We need people to help serve communion. We need gifted people to help sing on the praise team. We need men and women to help us in various ministries like our VIP ministry and like our school store ministry and like our compassionate hands, or compassionate hands ministry and like our compassion center ministry. You are needed. And anytime something significant happens, I realize it's not because one or two, it's because a lot of people come together to make a difference. Four times a year, we ask you to give $88,000 through our vision offering. That's a lot of money. One or two can't accomplish that. But when all of us come together, giving generously, it's amazing what can happen. On Easter Sunday morning, we'll have over 1,500 people here. 1,500 people don't just show up because we say, we're having Easter. Now, I realize Easter is one of those days when it's easy to invite a friend. But 1,500 people show up because you invite your friends and neighbors. You invite your sons and daughters who don't normally come to church here. You invite people to come and be a part of something exciting that's happening on that day when we celebrate the fact that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Anytime someone is baptized, I realize it's it's not one person. It's somebody inviting, and it's half a dozen people encouraging, and it's a few more inviting that person into their home. It's somebody coming along and studying the Bible. It's a large congregation that's helping to set an environment that's warm and loving and inviting. Anytime someone is baptized into Jesus, it's when a lot of people are coming together. Friends, every supporting ligament is needed. We're stronger because we're connected to each other. We're stronger because because we're connected ultimately to Jesus and we're functioning with one purpose. We're stronger ultimately when we speak the truth in love. Verse 15 says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Now, the word instead in that verse suggests a contrast. And so in verse 14, Paul talks about a problem that that the Ephesians church was struggling with. And it's a problem that every church has struggled with through the ages. It's the problem of immaturity. And so the Christians were perpetually childish instead of childlike. And Paul, as he describes this immaturity in verse 14, he says, well, it looks, it looks like instability. These are some folks that were blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. They didn't have a, a solid sense of who they were and what they believed. He also says it looks like gullibility. They're easily deceived. They, they believe just anything that comes down the pike. But in contrast to this, He says, we will speak the truth in love. And that's always the environment for growth. It's truth in love. Now, I've been some places, and I've heard the truth preached. But friends, truth without love is brutality. And this is not the spirit of Jesus. 
The Word of God is used like a machete and it hacks through people's lives. It creates so much damage and harm. Truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms, but it, it keeps us in denial. And we don't hear the truth about ourselves or the truth about the world or the truth from God's Word. And as a result, we don't, we don't change. And as a result, we don't grow. Because, friends, there's no growth without change. But as we look at Jesus, Jesus always spoke the truth in a context of love. And that's an environment for growth. That's what I'm aiming for in preaching. I want to always proclaim the truth. And that's what God would have me do. That's what Jesus calls me to. But I want to proclaim that truth in love, because that's what Jesus did. We know love is powerful. And this should be how we relate to one another. We want an environment of truth, but we want to speak the truth in an environment of love. This should be how we minister to our community. Oh, we want to, we want to hold out the truth. But friends, we do it from a loving posture. We do it in a way that suggests we're concerned about the person we're speaking with. We're concerned about the people we're striving to minister to. We're stronger, friends. We preach the truth in love. Together, we're stronger because we're taught and trained by gifted leaders, apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. We're stronger because we have a strong sense of connection and we function together. And ultimately, we're stronger because we're operating out of a spirit of truth and love. Tomorrow is a national holiday. It's a day we set aside as a nation to remember a man who taught us many things. This man had a beautiful dream. I think his dream is deeply rooted in the American dream. He had a dream that one day as a nation we would rise up and live out the true meaning of our national creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. He had a dream that ours would be a, a nation where we would not be judged by the color of our skin, but by the content of our character. He had a dream of a more loving and just society. Dr. Martin Luther King once said this about love, and it fits so well with what I'm trying to say today. He once said, love is the only force capable of transforming an enemy into a friend. And that's very biblical. He lived that out. But that's what God has done for us. Love. The love of God in Christ is the force that draws us together. It's the force that draws us together and then sends us out into a world that's starving for truth and love. And that's what God calls us to do. To go into the community with that wonderful message of truth and a message of love. We are the body of Christ. And it's amazing, it really is, what the church can do. 
when we're focused on the one mission and vision he gives us and we love each other deeply. Today, if, uh, if you've come and you have a need, uh, I want you to know this is a place where you're going to hear truth, but I also want you to know you're going to be loved unconditionally. And so today, if we can help you, we'll have some shepherding couples in the back. They would love to pray with you and help you in any way they can. I'll be down front. I would love to help you if you have a need. Come as we stand as we sing this song.